Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in to Cedar and Cypress Podcast. Hope you're having a wonderful day, wonderful week, whatever is going on in your life. I hope it's going well. I'm extremely excited that you've clicked on this episode and you're interested in listening to this topic because it is a little bit unique. It's a little bit different from what we typically do on this podcast, so I hope that you will enjoy this episode. And I promise you, I promise you, I have something to present to you that's incredibly useful and food for thought, and so I don't make any episode just for, for the is for the sake of it. It's because I do really think it's something important to talk about and that it was useful to talk about. So what I'm going to be talking about today is if Christians should care about the environment, should care about cons- conservation, should compare, care about being eco-friendly and caring about the environment, because I often find that typically this is not a conversation you have very often in like Christian circles. This is one that I think tend, tend to happen more in secular circles and tend to be a, more of something that people care about more in secular circles. Not that Christians can't care about it or don't care about it ever, but that's just been my experience. And I thought it was a perfect opportunity to talk about this this topic because it was Earth Day a couple of days ago. Well, at the time that I'm recording this episode, it was Earth Day a couple of days ago. And by the time you listen to this episode, it won't necessarily be that anymore. But it kind of it kind of gave me the opportunity to think about this topic a little bit, to ruminate over it and put together some thoughts for this episode. I found out that it was Earth Day due to Google, like I had just opened my Google Chrome and I noticed the homepage talked about it being Earth Day. I don't think I would have known about it otherwise. It's not like I have it on my calendar every single year or it's something that I pay much attention to or that I really observe that closely. I'm, you know, I just wouldn't have known otherwise. And I'm sure, I'm sure many a holiday, many a commemoration has passed beyond my notice and without my notice, just because there's lots of holidays, lots of things to keep up with or so many just days and important markers that I'm not necessarily aware of. But it did give me an opportunity to at least thank God for the beautiful earth that he made, for amazing and complex wildlife he's made, for the plants, for all the vegetation, the crazy, crazy cool stuff that he has created, the animals he's made. If you ever watched like an earth documentary or or anything like that, then you know there's these incredibly cool animals that he's made and and powerful animals and weird animals and just strange wildlife and plants that he has created. And I think that Earth Day is an opportunity to thank God for who he is, for what he's done, for all the cool things that he has made. And I just think that's a really awesome opportunity to do so. Every day, really, every day is ultimately an opportunity to praise God, to thank him for who he is and what he's done, to remember how faithful he's been to us and all the cool things that he does that he doesn't have to do at all. He didn't have to make certain animals and he didn't have to even come to save us, but he does it because he loves us and because he delights in his creation. I kind of have wanted to talk, however, about this topic for a little while. I've wanted to create an episode on conservation, about taking care of the earth, because it's definitely a very niche specific topic. And this holiday gave me, you know, a chance to t- talk about it, you know, and before you click away, because I know this, I know this is a very specific topic, to give it a little bit of a chance, because I'm hoping I can convince you to care about this issue from a theological perspective, not in an effort to weaponize the Bible from my agenda or for something that I care about, but to challenge you, to give you something to think about, maybe if you haven't before. Or if you're someone who's very pro-environment, maybe actually also challenge some of the thoughts that you might have with about it with a Christian perspective from a biblical viewpoint. So just to share super quickly, I I would not say I'm like an incredibly super pro-environment person, but I do really care about converse, conservation. I care about wildlife. I care about animals. I care about the things that God has made. I was vegetarian for a few years, I think through late high school 
through early college for a few years. And I've, oh, and the reason I had chosen to do that is because I was very passionate about at the time, not that I'm not anymore, but at the time I was extremely passionate about animal cruelty and, and the way that our meat industry contributes to the abuse of animals. I am no longer vegetarian, mostly for health reasons, just because it was incredibly challenging, difficult during college and on a budget to eat well, get protein and care for my body the way I should be when I was not eating any any meat or any protein. And so I have not been vegetarian several years now at this point, but I was at one point, not that that's a huge part of my identity or anything, but it's just a little bit of my background. So for me and from my perspective, I see conservation as a mostly good thing, as a mostly good thing. But we will get into all the nuances, all the details in this episode about some of the things that I think are incorrect about, I guess, the pro-environment movement, about the climate change movement or the eco-friendly movement, whatever you want to call it. I kind of just, I just kind of use the word conservation because I think that that encapsulates everything. So that's what I, that's the word that I'll use moving forward into this episode. And, and the reason why I think it can be so challenging to talk about is because you have to be pretty well versed in these conversations in this topic to be able to have, I think, a productive discussion about it. Another thing is that it's a really highly politicized issue. I mean, I don't I don't know what your background is with the news or with this kind of topic, but if you're somewhat even politically literate, you probably already know that there's a lot of activism. And there's heavy handedness on one side, and then there's also a lot of pushback and dismissiveness from the other side. Me saying that is underemphasizing probably both sides of the issue, and I could probably get into more detail on that. But not, I mean, effort with this episode is not at all to be political, but it's to genuinely just take a theological biblical approach to something that's incredibly modern and foreign to biblical writers. You know, at the time that the Bible was being written, the biblical authors had absolutely nothing like this on their minds, nothing like conservation or sustainability or any of these buzzwords that we use right now. So it's incredibly, incredibly important that when we approach any topic, especially something that is so niche and specific to this moment in history that we live in right now, especially in the modern day West, we have to take the Bible and we have to take our cultural blinders off. We have to see the world as the biblical authors did so we can pull out the principles they taught us and use that to apply what's going on right now. Really what happens with, it, with this issue, I think often is that some people are just too heavy-handed with it. And the, on the other side, people can trivialize how other people feel about environmentalism and conservation. And that's also not productive. That's not very helpful at all. There's people that really, really care about the environment. And there's just people that just don't care at all, really. And so we don't have to validate every single feeling that other people have or every emotion that they have about the environment and about the world. But we have to go to the Bible. We have to get rid of our cultural blinders and we have to come back to our, our view of God and our posture towards God. That's really what's at the heart of this issue. I think really any issue in the entire world comes down to who, what you believe about God and what you believe about yourself. And so you know, I will say this for probably any topic that I ever talk about on this podcast, but regardless of the topic or the discussion at hand, no matter what you're talking about, it really boils down to who do you think God is and who do you think you are? And that really sets the tone for how a conversation will go. And that also sets the tone for the fact that that's why people disagree so, so adamantly on this particular issue is because of it, it really boils down to, the, to those issues. So after researching and looking through things and being interested in conservation for actually a long time, probably I would say since high school, but becoming more interested in the last couple of years. After researching and also looking into what the Bible says about the world, I have landed one on. I've landed on what I firmly believe to be a biblical stance, and 
that's what I want to share. And that's what I want to present to you today. The observations that I've made, where I have landed on this particular topic and where I found peace. So without further ado, here's my unsolicited opinion on environmentalism and conservation that nobody really asked for because no one else seems to be talking about it. I'm still going to share it. The first thing is just a really simple question. It's, should we take care of the earth? And the truth is, the absolute answer is, there's no way to say no to this question. Yes, we should take care of the earth. We should take care of creation. We should take care of what God has made because we honor and we respect God. Genesis 1 is the root of everything. If we start here, we start with, with the creation story. We, we see that God mentioned seven times that what he has made is good. And so if we know that something is good and God has declared it so, we should care about protecting it. This goes for a bazillion different things in the Bible. What is good, what is true, what God has declared to be good and true and righteous, we should spend effort and resources and time trying to save and trying to protect and trying to conserve. We are also a part of creation itself. Don't forget, like we as humans are part as a part of creation. I would argue, from a biblical standpoint, that we are the most important creatures that God ever created, because we're not just creatures; we're made in His image. But don't forget, we also are part of this earth, and we share this earth with other creatures that He made intentionally for His glory and for His beauty, and to shine His own creativity and intelligence for us to be able to see and honor Him, not for the sake of liking those creatures themselves, but because it points back to him. It's hard to imagine that creation would be mentioned so often in the Bible, so often the scriptures, the beauty of other animals, the metaphors of using other animals, of plants, and just not matter. And then it wouldn't be important because even this podcast, it's, it's named after cedar and cypress, which is is after the fact that Faith is likened to trees, how strong and how durable they are. So all over creation, we can see metaphors and things, biblical truths that are, are present, spiritual truths that are present in our life can be easily, easily seen in creation. And so with, with that in mind, because we know that creation is good, the next thing that we have to keep in mind is God's authority over creation because he made it himself. This is actually the most important, the whole most important thing about this entire episode. So if you get absolutely nothing from this episode, nothing about environmentalism, nothing about conservation, nothing about the world, nothing about creation at all, this is the one thing I do really want you to get from this episode. We have accounts in the New Testament of Jesus, our Lord's authority over creation. He contained the wind and the waves. We see this recorded in all four of the Gospels. He walks on water, which we see in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John or Matthew, Mark, and John, my apologies. We also see the fact that he had authority over the donkey that had never been ridden in his triumphal entry. And then he mentions the stone will cry out if no one even, no one else praises him. And this is recorded in Mark, Matthew, and all four gospels. Again, we, we see these depicted very clearly multiple times throughout the New Testament. Jesus exercises and confirms his authority over creation, not only to prove his identity, but also to shine God's glory. However, what I do want to zone in a little bit more, we, I could I could spend a lot of time on those particular stories where, where Jesus tames the storm when he's on the, the boat with his disciples. Jesus walks on water and Peter does for a short period of time as well with, with Jesus's power. And we could talk about the triumphal injury. We just, we, you know, we just had Palm Sunday a few weeks ago. We could talk about all those different things and I could spend an entire episode talking about those particular stories, which are incredible. And I will make sure to include in the notes so you can go look back at them because I want you to read them. I want you to go look at them. For the sake of time, what I really want to hone in on when we talk about Jesus' authority is actually the Great Commission. And if you're not familiar with the Great Commission, this is when Jesus was ascending to heaven and right before he left, he told his disciples, 
all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is an incredibly important verse. I was looking through a John Piper who John Piper on his website, he had given a sermon about this, which is also it's repurposed into a, a written article that you can read if you'd rather, if you'd prefer to just read it and not listen to it. But he talks about this claim that Jesus made about himself. And he says it's a massive thing to say, like it's a massive claim for Jesus to make about himself. It's not that Jesus can rule, but he quite literally does rule. He does rule over every single thing. It's not just that he has the power to if he wants, but that he is actively and genuinely and sincerely and right now in this current moment, reigning and ruling over all of creation. That includes us. And this includes the spiritual realm. This includes things that we cannot see. So he he rules over everything all at once, and he's all powerful. If this is the only thing you get from this episode, I want you to keep in mind that Jesus, our Lord, is sovereign over everything. And this is the same God that we know from the Old Testament because Jesus is the Son of God, and we also know Jesus is God himself as well. So this is the same God who created the world and everything lives in it, Genesis 1, who flooded the earth and dried it back up, Genesis 6 through 9, who burned up Sodom and Gomorrah, Genesis 19, who spoke to Moses through a burning bush, Exodus 3, who destroyed the walls of Jericho, Joshua 6, who answered Job out of the whirlwind, Job 40, who brought dry bones to life, Ezekiel 37. I could keep going through miracle after miracle after incredible thing that God has done and things that are recorded in the Bible and have been seen by eyewitnesses and recorded for other people to see in the future. I could go through all these things. If God has the power to do all these things, all these incredibly things, these feats, these marvels, these miracles that are truly wondrous and that should captivate us, like if nothing else does, the, the fact that Jesus commands these things, that God commands these things, if God has the power to do all those things and he exercises that power all the time, and he can and he certainly will, he will sustain the earth for as long as he and he alone deems it necessary. As long as he has use for the world and as long as he is used for his purpose and his will, he will continue to do so. And it's incredible that we, you know, we get to partner in that in certain ways. And I'll, I'll go through those in a second. But I just want to say, like, I could mention and list miracles until I am blue in the face, like for hours and hours, I could list all these things and all their references. I could spend a podcast going through every single one of them. But what more could God do for you to believe and trust in him? What more could he do? There's, you know, it, it's not a matter of God not proving himself. The problem isn't that, you know, God hasn't proven himself, but the problem is your choice to believe or to not believe in who he is, who he said he has been, who he has proven himself to be and who he will always be. So God is this wondrous miracle working God who exercises power over all this, these natural elements over creation because he made them himself and he's not subject to their rules at all because he wrote the rules himself. I have included links in the show notes for you, two different links from Blue Letter Bible that has references that you can click on for all the miracles that are listed in the Old Testament and the ones that were conducted by Jesus while he was on earth that are written in the New Testament. So there's two different articles, Old Testament miracles and then also miracles of our Lord Jesus Christ. I would really encourage you to click on those to read those. And you don't even necessarily need to read all of them, but the really cool thing about these this website is you can hover over, especially if you're on a computer, you can just hover over the reference and read the verse. And there's so many. You could spend years just going through these and, and looking through them and, and reading all these stories. You could, you could get lost in them. And that's truly as, as many as there are. So all that to say... As soon as if we've forgotten this most important part, as soon as we forget that God is sovereign, that God is the creator, if we forget about that part, if we leave that part behind, we've lost the whole battle already. We have nothing. There's no point in talking about anything else. We shouldn't even talk about 
the earth, about creation, about animals, about ourselves, we shouldn't even talk about anything. If we're not talking from, if we're not approaching something from the point of reference that God is creator and God's sovereign over everything, and not only is he sovereign, but he actively exercises that sovereignty and that power, then there's no point in talking about anything else or, or having a further discussion. Piper says in this sermon that I mentioned, he said that recognizing God's authority unleashes a torrent of hope. And I love that phrase, unleashes a torrent of hope. God's authority, God's sovereignty should unleash a torrent of hope in us. Instead of being despairing or feeling fear because of it, our response to his authority is to be extremely hopeful because we trust in him and we know his character, that he's been faithful over and over again. Every time he says he will do something, he will. Every time he says something will happen, it happens just as he said it will. Same thing goes for Jesus. When we look at the New Testament, every single thing he said would happen always happens exactly the way that he says it will. This is, this is what happened when he predicted his death. He predicted being rejected. He predicted the Holy Spirit coming. Every single time he said something would happen, it did, because Jesus is the one with the authority. He is God. And so having this right mind, having this right perspective is what then frees, up to t frees us up to talk about creation itself. Once we know the creator, once we have understanding and knowledge of his character of the creator, we can then move on to talk about creation. And this brings us to the question, will the earth pass away? Yes, absolutely. The earth will pass away. <laughs> Both modern science and the scriptures have indicated that to us time and time again. Modern science and the technology we have, the research that we have accumulated over the past, it tells us that we've damaged the earth quite a bit with the practices, all the different things that we have done to the earth. We've heard it very much. There's no sense in trying to deny this, that, you know, just saying no no, we haven't abused the earth to at least some extent would just kind of be denying what's right in front of our waking eyes. If you've ever seen photos of landfills or of trash just filling the ocean, or you've seen images of animals being entangled in plastic or garbage or anything like that, then you know that we have not always treated the earth the way it should be. And that is because of sin. The scriptures indicate to us that we shouldn't be surprised by this. We shouldn't be surprised by the fact that the earth is passing away right before our eyes and as we experience it now. You know, we see death and we see sin, the effects of death and sin everywhere we look. There's aging, there's pain, there's sickness, there's filth, there's moral filth, there's immorality everywhere. And creation was not exempt from this. So this is why we see death in the animal kingdom. This is why we see wildlife being hurt. We see we, we see the effects of the things that we have done that negatively impact not only ourselves, but the other creatures that inhabit this earth. We've been on this traje trajectory towards towards death, towards sin, ever since the fall in Genesis 3. So again, considering the fact that we are the ones who contaminate God's good earth with sin, we shouldn't be surprised that this earth is passing away, that it is dying. I'm always flabbergasted by people who are surprised about the fact that this earth is quickly fading away and even faster than we thought it would be, that it's that it's just dying. And there's there's... To an extent, there's definitely things that we can do to help heal the earth or heal certain areas, but we're never going to fully reverse it. Trying to deny that is just denying your waking eyes and what you see in front of you. And it's not only just that this earth itself will pass away, but that there will be a new heaven and a new earth. This is the part where we get to be excited about the fact that that Jesus is coming back. He's not going to leave things how they are. He's not just going to let everything pass away. He's coming to redeem and restore everything and punish sin, punish evil. Everything will be perfected and restored and redeemed. I think too quickly we can get caught up in this kind of Gnostic view that this this temporal physical earth is really all there is. And then, you know, we should put all our efforts towards it to reversing climate change or, or we should be more eco-friendly or, or things like that. 
While it is incredibly important to be part of something bigger, to treat our Earth well, it's not for its own sake, for the sake of the Earth itself, but to actually honor the Creator, the one who made the Earth. So we love creation, we appreciate creation, we treat it well, we treat it with care, we steward it as much as we possibly can with wisdom and discernment, but not for its own sake, but in that way we get to partner with the Creator for the care of the Earth. Just in the same way that God will build his earth, he will fulfill his purposes with or without your participation. He can sustain his good earth with or without you. The beauty is that you get the opportunity to partner with God in anything. It's a privilege to do anything for God and to be part of his kingdom in any way. Our posture should be, God, let me help. Let me be part of anything. Send me. Let me do it. Let me be part of it. Let me lead or let me participate in it. Help me see how I can serve you. And it's really encouraging to know that God will go about his business. He will accomplish what he wants, when he wants. He will complete things according to his will, regardless of whether you choose to be part of it or not. We can't change God's trajectory. We can't change his plans. We can have no impact on his power. Anything he wills to do, he cannot be thwarted. God cannot be stopped. He is sovereign. He is imminent. He's above all. He's above everything. And that should instill in us, first of all, fear. We should be honorably fearful of a God who is powerful, wrathful, just, but also loving and kind and intimate and close to us and loves us. At the same time, we should be encouraged with the fact that no mistake you could ever make, not even treating the earth really poorly or creating a lot of trash, that couldn't stop him. That couldn't stop him from what he plans to do and the restoration he plans to bring to us. No mistake you can ever make can stop his plan for your life, for other people's life. There is no power or authority you can exercise over anything, whether that's your own life or others or over the earth, that could stop him from doing what he wants and when he wants. And finally, that should make us eager. It should make us eager. It should make us excited that we get to be part of it. We can be part of it and we can ask God, how can I partner with you in what you want to do in spreading the gospel and being a light? In this dark, dark world that is passing away very quickly, that is fading away. And it's a reminder also that God is going to bring his eternal judgment on this world. We talked about how the scriptures mention that this earth is passing away. It is dying and it's not going to be forever. So whether we like it or not, whether we want to admit it or not, God is going to bring his eternal judgment onto the world. This is talked about quite quite a bit in Second Peter. And it's a really encouraging verse, although or passage, I guess, but it, it can be a little bit scary. So I just wanted to read to you a couple verses starting in verse 10, where Peter writes, The day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all things are thus to be dissolved, what sort sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? So Peter here is essentially saying, do good work while you can, while you're here, while we have this earth, while we have this life, do the good work that you can. Work for God. This spurs us to prudent and holy living. If you read Peter's epistles, if you read First and Second Peter, you'll see that theme is present all throughout both of his epistles where he's talking about this holy, this prudent life, this life that is dedicated to the Lord and without blemish. So caring for the earth, it can be prudent. But it's not necessarily the calling that you're always going to have or that the calling that other people are necessarily going to have either. And Peter says this, that we should live holy, we should be without sin and without blemish. 
Furthermore, the Apostle Paul writes in Philippians, the first chapter, he says we should be busy going about good work for our Father. So while we have this temporal life, while we are here, we should be doing good earth, not only because our personal lives are temporary, that we all die, we are all guaranteed to pass away ourselves, but even where we live currently, this earth is going to pass away as well. Where I think that we specifically as Christians, we struggle as we struggle and we hesitate to jump into this conversation because it is of movement. The conservation movement, I would say, has been overwhelmingly secular and has been driven by secular people or secular hum- from a secular humanist perspective. And I wanted to point out that while I do really appreciate the movement of conservation, I still want to kind of mention what I think that they got wrong, what I think that it postures and attitudes that it has that are still incorrect and still drive some of the incorrect rhetoric that we see from conservationism. And the first thing is conservation for conservation's sake. Though it seems really noble, it seems really noble to be doing this. The problem is it's kind of an empty and it's a broken cause when it's absent from the right view of the creator. Again, because if we're just saying conservation for conservation's sake, why would we even care about this earth when we know it is genuinely going to pass away? There's no use denying that at this point. It's kind of a fruitless, circular pursuit to be doing so because it takes away the value of what what is created, but we don't care about the creator. The problem when we do that is that we dishonor and denigrate what is valuable, what is right and true and good in the eyes of our creator and what he has said in his word are good things. So what we do is we choose to glorify and exalt other things over that. And that can honestly often be what is creation itself. So that could include animals, that include your view of plants, that could be any kind of mystic view that you have of animals or plants, even a claim that animals or plants or anything else can have soul or have deity or have any kind of power in the spiritual realm that is beyond or an absent of Jesus's power himself or Jesus's desire maybe to use other beings to work through and accomplish things for his will. The problem with this is if we attribute any kind of human characteristics or souls or anything else to the created, we we move away from the fact that we as humans are made in the image of God, and that is an exclusive characteristic of us as humans. I will give credit, however, I will say probably most conservationists really would discourage this kind of concept of anthropomorphizing animals due to the bad impact that can have on animals and plants and, and other creatures in general. So I wouldn't say this is a super widespread thing, but I would say, again, if we're looking at conservation from a conservation sake issue, that kind of viewpoint is what leads us in the wrong direction. It's what causes us to say or condemn other people for their view if they find it to be less important. It begins to create strife. It begins to create conflict. And you'll see this all across this movement that people who care about the environment, people that don't as much seem to have a huge contention. There's points of contention between them that I think is incredibly unnecessary and could be could be pushed past and moved past for the greater good but people get really hung up on that the fact that other people don't necessarily believe or support the same way that they do with that said however i do think there's a perfectly there's nothing immoral about choosing to do things in your life or change certain things in your life to treat the earth better treat animals better again because we are Christians, because we honor God, we honor his creation, that means we don't abuse animals. We don't hurt animals. We don't hurt other creatures. We don't wish ill will on them or do things that will harm them intentionally. We don't do things or contribute to things that will harm them in the long run if we can at all help it. You know, this is why we have pets, because we recognize that 
that God created other creatures that we can bond with and we can have have some kind of relationship with and appreciate them and we can care for them because we know that we were mandated to care for this earth and to help it flourish and partner with God in ruling over it before before the fall and everything like that. First practical step that I would would probably give for any Christian is to thank God for his creativity, for his beauty, for this lovely, lovely world that he has created. And to use creation as a way to engage with God, to go outside. Personally, I love being outside. I love going to the beach. I love going on walks in the woods. Like I love being outdoors. And there's something specific about doors that refreshes and gives life. And that's because of our creator. So if you love going outside and you've never really attributed that fact to God, then thank him for it. Praise him for it. Be grateful for what he has created in the way that you get to enjoy it, what you get to benefit from it, even though it's undeserved. Second thing I would say is that there's nothing immoral about changing things in your lifestyle to be more eco-friendly or to be more pro-environment or to learn more about how to take care of the environment better and how to make sure that your money and your resources and the things that you are doing on a on a regular basis don't contribute more to harming our planet and harming other creatures who habitate it. This, and a really good example of just making super, super easy swaps in your life without making it an, an idol, without making an identity for, your, for yourself, the fact that you you do certain things that are better for the environment or you choose not to participate in certain things because it can harm the planet. So without using it to ju- judge or condemn or look down on others. And so I'm not saying, I'm not saying at all that you need to try to like go zero waste or completely green in everything that you do. Especially if you have children, you have a family, if you're on the go or you travel a lot, some things are just going to be easier and more convenient for you when you're just trying to stay afloat and live your life. And that is how it is. But there are some extremely easy things you can do. Like you don't even have to get into gardening or composting or all that crazy stuff, but there are super, super easy things that you can do in your life that don't have to be time consuming. They do not have to be expensive, things that are not going to inconvenience you in a major way that can still make life easier or better for the environment, the way that you conduct yourself. And I'm going to give you, like, I'm going to run through super fast few examples. I've included a couple links of of easy things that you can do. Some of these are things that I've implemented or tried to do more in the past couple years of my life. So just really quickly running through this list, extremely fast. Using rags or old cut up t-shirts or towels instead of paper towels to clean Repairing and reusing items, selling or giving away things rather than just throwing them away if you can. Being more mindful of the clothing that you buy and how it's sourced, maybe researching that a little bit more. Trying to reduce your plastic. So get reusable grocery bags, repurpose the ones that you have or you've already brought home from the grocery store. Get a hold of your spending habits. Maybe take take a look and audit your finances. Use reusable batteries, use reusable water bottles, find ways to swap out things that you use on a daily basis for reusable options. Uh, save Tupperwares from takeout. Use them again. Wash and reuse glass jars from the grocery store. Rather than just throwing them away, you can throw them in the dishwasher. Use them again for storing food or drinking water. You could use them for a myriad of different things. Cut down the electricity use. Maybe, maybe unplug appliances if you're not using them. When you run out of something, check to see if there's like a, a reusable swap. So once you run out of your cotton balls or cotton rounds, buy the reusable washable ones that you can literally just throw in the washing machine. Uh, dryer balls instead of dryer sheets. Things like that. Maybe throw a clean spoon and fork in your bag or your purse that you can use when you go to restaurants or fast food restaurants instead of using plastic ones and throwing them away. Some environmentally environmentally friendly things that you can do are just incredibly cheap. They're money saving. They're just easy. They're not something that are going to be really inconvenient for you. Things that you can easily, easily do. And though a lot of these things are things that I've done, not necessarily all of them, but I've done some of these things. Keeping all this in mind, if 
a conviction that you have about taking care of the planet or not eating certain things or doing certain things or participating in certain things, if it compromises your emotions, your thoughts of others, or your view of God, then that's where we have a problem. So care for the earth, take care of the earth as much as you can, but don't let it become an idol or come between you and another brother in Christ. I think where people really do start to get in trouble with their convictions is not necessarily the practice of actually following their convictions and living according to them, but it's when their convictions result in strife or conflict with others in the body of Christ. And we know that disunity in the body of Christ does displease God greatly. The church is meant to make every effort possible, every single considerable effort to live in harmony and in peace. If you at all have an inflated view of yourself because of your convictions and the way that you're following them, when you, we already have a problem. And we know that God is going to humble you. And it sometimes means with pride going before a fall, sometimes it means it's going to be a really not so fun experience you have when God chooses to humble you and maybe the way he's going to humble you. So if you can catch that really early, if you find yourself feeling judgmental over other people who have different convictions or are living differently from you, that's something to, to keep to take care of right at the forefront. Ephesians 4 says, this is written by Apostle Paul, Therefore, I, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, the patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and all in all. So here we are seeing Paul say, don't just be reluctant to or take peace as a last resort. Be extremely eager. Make all the efforts that you possibly can to keep the unity, keep the harmony, keep the peace within the body of Christ, because this is what honors God, because we have been made one. As a body in Christ, we've been made one under him. Romans 14 kind of has a similar strain. You'll see here, this is again the Apostle Paul talking when there was a dispute about whether certain meats could be eaten or not, because Jews and Gentiles were learning to be under this one faith, in this one body under God, when they had very different traditions and cultures and ways of living. Paul is essentially saying here, don't pass judgment on each other and don't cause each other to stumble. If your convictions or the way that you're following your convictions are creating strife and they're creating conflict between you and a brother, this is where it's more important that you pursue that relationship with your brother in Christ rather than allow those to come between you. Don't cause discord or disunity in your communities for the sake of what you believe about anything. And that includes environmentalism or climate change, eco-friendliness, anything like that. And that also includes the way that you come off. So maybe not necessarily being overly dogmatic about it. Maybe you might not be that person, but how do you come across to others? How, what impression do people get from the way you talk about things? Do you have any kind of self-righteous attitude about it? Are there any impressions that people could get from you or how do you come off to others? Does that compromise how you treat others or think of others? Because if it does compromise how you think of others, it's also going to translate into your actions. When Jesus is rebuking the Pharisees, he says in Matthew 12, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Whatever is in your heart is going to be incredibly difficult to hide. And so out of what is in the heart, the mouth speaks, the actions are shown. And so it's incredibly easy to tell when someone thinks they're better than other people. That's just not something that's easy to hide. And you don't want to be that person because that's not God honoring. So while you can still really encourage people, you can speak this message, you can you can exemplify this life of taking care of the earth or refusing to participate in things that will cause harm to the planet or its inhabitants that are not you. You don't owe the earth or its inhabitants anything, actually. You owe God everything, and thus then you care for his creation. Your allegiance is to Christ, not to a cause. 
So if we can treat the earth better without compromising other priorities, which are honoring God first and unity in the body of Christ, then we don't have an excuse not to treat the earth better. So in summary, God is good. God created the world and he called it good himself. Seven times, in fact, in Genesis 1. We love God, so we love his creation. We appreciate it. We adore it. We take joy in it. We wonder at it. We marvel at it. We we spend time out in nature. But there is still a list of priority, priorities that we have as followers of Christ. First is God and to honor him. Then the inherent value of human life comes before anything else. And then as a third priority, as long as it's not coming in, in ahead of those other two things, then we can absolutely allocate our resources, our time, our efforts, and our money towards Earth's other, other inhabitants and ensuring that they are treated well, they are treated with love and respect, and that they're also taken care of ethically as well. So there is no qualm. I truly believe there's no Christian qualm with taking care of the Earth and with environmental conservation, but with its priorities in check, with its priorities aligned, and with a correct and rightful view of the Creator first, who we are, who He is, that informs everything else we do. So really, that's all I have for you on this topic. I hope that it's been enjoyable. I hope that maybe I've challenged some of the thoughts that you've had about it before, and I've given you maybe some biblical food for thought, something to think about when it comes to this particular topic, and maybe it will be useful in a conversation that you have with some someone. So I hope you've enjoyed it, and I will make sure to catch you on the next one. Mm-hmm.